You are listening to the Inspire Her podcast. My name is Farron, and I'm so excited to bring in some inspiration, some amazing guests, and give you the tools you need to live your best life. Let's learn from each other, let's support each other, and let's inspire her. Welcome back to the Inspire Her podcast. I am so excited for today's episode and I am so excited for connections and the people that I've met and just the most incredible women will come into your life when you start surrounding yourself with positivity and looking towards like good people and good things. And randomly, my next guest and I came like we just connected online and we, she reached out to me, told me about what she was doing. And immediately I looked all over her feed and I was like, oh my gosh, I I love everything. And I was like, wait, just wait. I just want to have you on the podcast because you're so incredible. I feel like this could inspire so many people. And, um, I also really love like the connection and just sweet and just the way that she reached out. And I just, we need more of that in our lives. And so, um, I am so excited to welcome Gita to the inspire her podcast, where she's going to give you some inspiration for women and inspiration for mamas and inspiration for everyone listening. Um, on all things. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for those sweet words. Yay, you are so welcome. So let's jump in. So, you know, so she messaged me and was talking about um, her business and you run the Real Food Hero Instagram. Um, and it's the real, like that is your business. Like that's the name of your business, right? It is, Exactly. So tell me about that. Yes. So um, Real Food Hero has really come about from a a, a company my husband and I started that's called Nordic Family Table. And the reason why it came about in the first place was because my husband and I, we are from Denmark. Well, my daughter's too, of course. And uh, we moved to the U.S. like three years ago. And one of the first things that we noticed was that mealtimes and eating and all those practices around that and the culture around eating is very, very different in the US from the way we were raised in Denmark. And I remember one of the first things that I noticed was that, wow, Americans don't always eat at a dinner table. They don't always have a dinner table. So it's like they eat just on the go. They eat in the car. They eat at work. They eat while they sit at the computer or at the screen or whatever. So I really started, and we talked a lot about that, my husband and I, because we were like, where we're from, the dinner table and the institution of a shared meal is such a, um, I want to say it's a, it's a big priority to, to everybody in Denmark. You never call somebody between 6 and 7 p.m. because you just know that people are gathered around their table to eat and talk and dine and enjoy and indulge and, and just connect, really. So that was how the first business kind of started and, and it's still there and up and running and everything. But what I, as I'm, I'm a psychologist and I'm very interested in, in the dynamics around the table really. So like, how do we speak together and how do we approach the dinner table and everything we do around the dinner table, including like mealtime struggles. And, you know, most parents know pickiness as some, you know, and I guess they don't really want at the table, but that's often there especially if they have toddlers or young children. So I started digging into that. And, and that's really how Real Food Hero got started because I feel like 
the way we approach mealtimes, even though we've really come far with our parenting and everything we know about parenting and we educate ourselves and everything. But the problem is at mealtimes, that just goes to the wayside. So we often approach mealtimes with a lot of um, stress and tension and, and pressure towards our kids. And we try to entice them or threaten them or we distract them to get them to eat and we manipulate them into eating. So. And from a psychological point of view, that was so interesting to me because that's really how you, when you look at it from a psychological angle, that's not how you want to do it actually. But we lack the tools. So that's exactly why I got into it. And Real Food Hero is a product of that. I, I love that because, you know, just following you and the little, you know, tips that you say, um, it like they hit me, they hit me hard. I'm like, okay, all right. Am I doing this right? One, you touched on something so big and I guess we don't even realize it sometimes in America, you know, for people listening, like how many people don't sit at the dinner table yes. and eat and you know, it's crazy you say this because, you know, my husband and I, you know, we, we start, we wrote a gratitude journal and we're, we started talking about, you know, for us, family dinners are so important because we didn't grow up with family dinners at a table and we want to change, we want to change that. So interesting. Yes. And I heard that podcast of yours and I liked everything you said about it. And I think most people, I think it's the reverse for a lot of people. Like they grew up maybe sitting around a dinner table, but it has gone to the wayside within the last 20 years, maybe because people are too busy and they have other things to attend to. And they feel like, you know, we, we can't just take out like half an hour a day to sit down together and, and why we want to do it anyway. Right. But the thing about, about the dinner table and eating together is actually that there are so many, and, and people don't know this often, but there are so many positive outcomes of doing that. And I can just name, um, actually eating together on a regular basis will have a preventative effect on your kids getting into smoking, other risk behaviors like sexual behavior and, and uh, aggression and violence and stuff like that. But not only that, it actually also, um, if you have shared meals often, it actually also have a positive impact on your kids' grades. And I thought that was just mind blowing because I was like, how on earth is that does that come about? And I'm like, and I, and I think that of course it doesn't, you know, we can't set equal the 20 amounts around a table to having better grades. But I think that what what is going on at the table will just make you connect with your kids in a way that you know what's going on in their lives. And they will feel more responsible and maybe more attuned to your values in your family. And I, and I think that is really the reason why we see better grades in, in kids who are, you know, sitting at the dinner table with their parents. I love that. You know, when we first decided when we were having kids and I said, I want this to be, I want us to sit at the dinner table. And because I said, I feel like as our kids grow up, we will, if you see your kids every day at the same time, you're going to see different patterns. And when things change, you know, like, you know, you're going to talk about how was your day? What's going on? Like, if you are focused on your children for that part of your day, every single day, you're going to see when, okay, there, something's going on, you know, something's, you know, at, they're acting a little different and then you can change that. Exactly. And I think that's the whole point of it, right? That we are actually insisting on continuously to know our kids. 
And this is the exact place where that could take place because otherwise it's like there yeah, are five minutes on the trampoline maybe or uh, two minutes uh, walking to school or sitting in the car. It's more like, you know, little things that happen here and there, but there's no really, not really a routine in it. And if we insist on having that, you know, that meal together and just sit down every day, then we know this is going to happen. And our kids are going to start to expect that to happen too. So I really feel like the, the dinner table is the, where we civilize our kids. That's where we socialize them. That's where we teach them manners and the art of listening, the art of participating in conversations and stuff like that. So I think really the dinner table is maybe the most important furniture we have in the house. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I am a hundred percent on board with that. I love this. So you are, so you put on your profile, you're a picky eating expert. So how does, okay. So how did this start? Did you have picky eaters or how did you overcome that? Oh yes. that, yeah. I did. And, and not only that, and I want to get back to that, of course, but not only that, I was also a picky eater when I was a kid. When I grew up, I remember that everybody called me picky. And I was like, back then, I didn't really think it was a problem to be picky because I was just, you know, I was just eating what I wanted and the rest I just didn't want to eat. But of course, growing up in the 1980s that I did, um, my mom would pressure me because that's how you did back then. And that's sometimes how people do it today still, but she would pressure me to finish my plate. She would pressure me to taste those Brussels sprouts. And for that reason, I still have this, you know, it, it's, I'm starting to like them, but it's really a strained um, relationship I have with Brussels sprouts. So I think a lot of the things that we, that the way we approach pickiness can really um, make our goal um, come farther away. And it, it's like, what we want when we approach pickiness like that is not going to happen. We're not going to handle our little picky eaters by forcing and pressuring them. So yes, so I used to be a picky eater and I have that experience with me, of course. But another thing that, of course, made me the expert, besides from all the research I've dug into and being a psychologist, uh, treating families, but is also, of course, that I have a, well, she's four now. And she was definitely, you know, beginning the path of becoming a picky eater. She was definitely rejecting a lot of foods. And I, and I think maybe she wasn't even that picky. It was from, for her, it was more of a power struggle. It was more for her a question of, you know, um, showing that she knew she had some power. And, and what can you have more power over than what you're going to put in your mouth and eat? Mm -hmm. These are really the things that toddlers can say, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing what you want me to right now and they can succeed. And that's why we get so frustrated, I think, because we can't really do anything about it. We can bribe and entice and threaten all we want, but if they don't want to do it, they're not gonna. Yeah, that's that's true. I never thought about that until now, like the power, like they have control over. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow, okay, so your kids were a little piggy. So what did you, is so you were a psychologist first, Yes. before this and then you decided to do your research right and then exactly and, and back in the days when we lived in Denmark I used to I, I was a psychologist mainly um, working with families and, and children with anxiety and that was my big passion and it still is of course but the thing is when you look at parenting which of course has been one of my my biggest passion passions ever probably, um, when you look at parenting and when you look at picky eating, there are actually many things that kind of resemble what I, what I was drawing on back then when, when treating uh, kids with anxiety, because a lot of times 
parents come to the table with anxiety or they're tense because, oh no, I know this is going to happen again. My kid won't eat anything and I can't really make them. And what am I going to do? I'm going to be a bad mom and all that. And the kid comes to the, to the table with a lot of anxiety too. Like, wow, they're probably going to serve me something I don't know. And maybe I won't like it. And what if I don't like it? Will they force me to eat it? So really there's a cycle of anxiety. There's this vicious cycle of anxiety that's just repeating itself oftentimes at dinner tables. So that was really, you know, how I kind of got into this um, pickiness um, niche and, and thought, okay, this is really, it has so much potential. And I'm, I'm so passionate about it now, as you can hear. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, because you're touching on, I know that women are listening to this and, you know, especially moms are like, oh boy, because, you know, we, there's not one, I can't say there's, there's not one mom that hasn't, doesn't have a, you know, picky eater or somebody. Um, okay. So what do you think? So, okay. So you, you have a picky eater and you work on things to do to help them. Um, you know, what, what do you do if you have a picky spouse? Oh yeah. That's a different, uh, that's a different (laughs) angle of course. And if you have a picky spouse, well, I would say because one of the, the, the most powerful tools we have to actually approach pickiness in a gentle and in a respectful way is exposure exposure and exposure and exposure and that's that's actually how you you treat anxiety too like expose people to what they're afraid of just nicely and gently and and doing it gradually is really the key to get people to where they want to be and that's also one of the keys in in treating pickiness so as i haven't really had a picky spouse i would i would definitely um i would definitely assume that that keeping them you know keep exposing them to what they're a little bit scared of or what they're a little bit uncertain about. And then they will probably come along. Although I wanna say that um, pickiness or the rejection of food is, is for some, it seems like it's a phase, but it's, it's really about for me that we are creating healthy and confident little eaters because that's what they're gonna take into their adult life. So I feel like if, if adults don't have it, if they don't feel it, if they don't feel it that way, I think we should probably still you know, work if they're interested, of course, because if they're not motivated, it's not gonna happen, of course. But, but if they are motivated to, to kind of try and overcome this pickiness or rejection of food, then I would definitely keep exposing them to it and, and try and you know, play a little bit with the food. It's hard to maybe you know, introduce that idea to your spouse, but <laughs> kind of make it fun to see, you know, how does this taste? Or you know, if we poke it or, I mean, do it with your kids and then, and then maybe the spouse will follow along because I think there are so much, there's so much power in exposure. And, and exposure is not only about making somebody eat something and love it. It's actually more about being curious about food and being used to food and familiarize yourself with new foods. So it's not a success. The only success um, in, in, in exposure isn't just to have your kids eat it. It's also having them you know, poke it or smell it or uh, touch it or just um, do whatever with it really, or see others eating it. That's an exposure too, or, or cook or whatever, because when they cook, they also, when they get involved in cooking, they also touch it and they smell it and they see how it changes from its raw states to, to its cooked state, which is so, so very important too. And I feel like that's really where exposure has a, a true potential because it's still super gentle and super respectful and, 
and you could take it in your own pace really you can you can decide for yourself how how far do i want to go with these uh, peas or this broccoli or this whatever and then i can take it at my own pace without pressure i love that okay so as a mom my first you know my big question would be in thinking of this okay so you're going you have a plate of food and you have let's say peas on it and your kids like i don't want that where where do we go from here like you know, the psychologist mind, where do you go from there when your kid's like, I don't want to eat it? Yes. And that's such a good question. And I love it. Um, So as it is right now, a lot of parents think, okay, well, I have two options here when I approach mealtimes. Either I have full control. I decide I, I can force and I can entice and I can do all these things to make my child eat because they're going to have it my way. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't, you know, do that, then a lot of people think, okay, so the other way is probably just to give the kids full control. So that means that they, you know, let them graze or snack or just do whatever they want and eat whatever they want. So if they don't like what's served, um, mommy will be a short order cook or whatever, really. So, so these are often the two options that people think they can choose from. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that if we accept that there is this division of responsibility at the table, so, so you can say, okay, parents are in control of something and the child is in control of some other factors at the table. So we usually say this, the, the parent is in control of what is served, when it's served and where it is served. So we are in control of the serving. The child on the other hand is in control of the eating factors. That means they decide if they wanna eat how much they want to eat and what they want to eat from what's served, not what they want to eat in general. So they can't just go and make whatever and they can't just make mommy go and cook something else for them, but they can choose from what's on the table. And then, so if they say, hey, I don't want those peas, I would say, that's okay. You don't have to eat it. Or if they say, I don't like it, that's okay. Maybe next time you will learn how to like it. So I always put an emphasis on this um, teaching or learning mindset, like, okay, being a confident eater who likes a lot of different things is pretty much like practicing soccer. If you don't practice it, you will never become better at it or good at it. And it's, it's the same thing, really. So we practice to eat new things. And, and practice also means just putting the peas on your plate, just seeing them there. And I would never pressure a child to do that, but they're going to want to do it if you don't pressure them. So that's really part of this gentle and respectful approach at mealtimes is to, to just step back from the pressure. And even though, you know, and all parents, they say, but I spent so much time and I spent so much energy making this meal just to have everybody happy at the table. And I even thought about, you know, this guy not liking that and, and my daughter not liking this and still they won't eat what I prepared for them. And I'm like, yes, of course, you do, you do, um, you cook and then your job is done. You serve the plate and then your job is done. The rest is up to your child. And we can't force them to because if we, well, we can try, but we will never get where we want them to be. And it's also about like, it's not only about, I usually say to you that it's not only about getting your child to eat their veggies because maybe we can force our way through that, but we can never force our way to get and raise a healthy eater. We just can't. A healthy eater needs to be an intuitive eater who relies on his inner cues and who can attend to his tummy. I'm like, I just made a post about tummy checking. It's, it's really an art because if we let our children attend to their inner cues and their tummy, like when is it full? Does it need more? Then we, we can't say, 
oh, just one more bite or two more bites or finish your plate or whatever, because that stopped listening to their tummy and their inner cues. We need them to do that. If we don't do that, now we're screwed. I gotta say. <laughs> it was like blatantly and we're screwed. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I think this is so good. We, I actually took a health class um, a long time ago and in college. And one of the things that our health teacher said is uh, how we eat. And she said, so many people, so many parents will make mac and cheese and green beans and they give it to their kid and they have this huge serving and they say, okay, you have to eat everything on your plate. And now these kids are forcing every, you know, they might be, have been full half a plate ago, but they're thinking they're going to eat all this and then they get dessert. And she's like, we are like overfeeding our children without even realizing it. Exactly. And we're, we're, we're asking them to ignore their inner cues. We're telling them, you cannot trust your body on this. When your body says you're full, forget about it. Mommy knows when you're full or whatever. So that's also why we see this problem, especially in America, maybe that we are relying on external cues to know when we're full. I just wrote an article about this. And, and it's really interesting because in France, for instance, they actually, when asked about how, how do you know when you're full? Well, they rely on their inner cues. Well, um, I know when I'm full because I, I, well, first of all, they eat slower, slowlier than we do here. Mm-hmm. And they, they take time to sit down together and they eat till they're like 80% full. And that's because they actually focus on the food. That's the primary, the, the primary activity that they're doing. Eating for them is not a side activity. And I feel like that's the way it is to a lot of Americans that it, you know, eating becomes a side activity to working or um, watching TV or driving or whatever it is that we're doing, right? So we never really pay f- our full attention to eating. And that's part of the reason why we also rely on external cues. So relying on an external cue could be like, okay, when is the TV show over? That's when I stop eating. Or when is my um, takeout box empty? Or when is the plate empty? And really what we want to do is to attend to our inner cues while we are eating. So pay attention to the food, pay attention to your own inner cues and your tummy and, you know, listening to your body. When is it full? When is it time to stop? Because that's going to prevent us from overeating. I, I love that. So how can we, so your kid says, okay, I don't want to eat these peas. And then you say, that's okay. Now, what is the, now let's say there's dessert. So what yeah. is your take on dessert? Can they have dessert if they didn't eat their peas? Well, I, I really good question again. And, and you know what? One thing I want to say that I forgot before um, when you talking about those peas is that I usually serve safe foods, one or two safe foods at every dinner. And it can be like something that's preferably um, it's a little filling. So it could be pasta or it could be uh, bread or it could be cucumbers or whatever. So they always know that there's something familiar at the table because then I can step back from pressuring to eat their peas And I can say, okay, well, if you don't want to eat your piece, that's totally fine. Pick something else from the table. And they usually will. And the next thing you're asking is the the dessert thing. And I think this is is really something I'm very, very passionate about. Because in my house, dessert is never conditioned to how much you eat. If my kids ask, can we have dessert today while we're eating? I'm like, well, you know what, we'll talk about that after. Because it's never going to be linked to how much you eat. Because if it is, if I say you can have dessert if you finish your plate, then again, I'm asking them to ignore their inner cues and their body, what their body is telling them. And I'm, I'm asking them to listen to me instead of attending to what they should be attending to. 
Um, so yeah, I, dessert wise, yeah, I never say you can have ice cream if you finish your broccoli. It's just never a thing. And right now it's, it's actually, I am a little torn because um, a lot of dietitians these days say, well, you know, we should neutralize the power of sweets. And we can do that by every day on the dinner plate, we're gonna put a little gummy bear or a little cookie or a little whatever on the plate. So your kids know that they will have them. And whereas I think, you know, the idea of it can be really good and it could work for some people definitely, but I think, yes, we need to, we need to neutralize uh, sweets and, and, and treats and stuff like that but we also don't need to normalize it. And that's really why I, I see the, you know, the challenge of doing exactly that. I, I feel to some degree, yes, we need to, to, to neutralize them, but we definitely don't wanna normalize them to an extent where we have them every day, because then that's gonna be the expectation for our kids. But I know that a lot of, you know, some dietitians would definitely disagree with me on this one. But I, I just think that especially coming from Denmark where sweets and, and treats and candy and all that, they, those are occasional things to eat. Those are actually not part of the food universe per se. It's something we do sometimes to, you know, sit together and indulge in a cake or whatever. And, and we do it sometimes, definitely. I even, I'm, I'm a candy person myself and I'm also a cake person. So I definitely love those things, but I don't think we should do them every day. And I don't want to teach my kids that it's something that has to be at the dinner table every day. You know, I, I think, I think you said it perfectly. And my, my husband, I was thinking he would totally agree with you because every time we sit down to have dinner and let's say we have asparagus on whatever we have on the kids say, if I eat this, can I get dessert? And he always says, why do my kids think that they get dessert every night? And, yes. you know, but it's, but you know, when you think about it, if every night, if every night for like your whole childhood, you got dessert every night, can you imagine being an adult and you would think that you deserve ice cream every night after your meal? Exactly. That, that could get dangerous. That could be very dangerous. And I think that could be the recipe for disordered eating and, and also a, a recipe for what I call the emotional eating as opposed to the physical eating or the, you know, the, the, the one that's founded in whatever needs we have and whatever needs our bodies have. So I think putting desserts and ice cream and candy or whatever on the plate every day will kind of get us used to these things and, and used to expecting these things every day. And, and personally, I don't want my kids to do that, but it could be different for all of, you know, for other people that they might not be, they might not think of this as a problem, but personally, that's, that's, you know, how I want to do it. Yeah, no, I love it. My family, we have been much better about, you know, if you're full, Okay. Mm -hmm. I think the, the part that we probably struggle and which I love that you're saying all of this and I love following you for this because the part that we struggle is the, you know, the vegetables. And at what point do we make our kids, Hey, you have to have some of your vegetables, you know, vegetables or, um, you know, or you have to at least try them. So we, we, some, we definitely encourage our kids to, we'd like you to try them, but I think listening to you, I think we'll probably take more of an approach to, we'd love for you to try your vegetables or maybe cooking the vegetables together exactly. and not necessarily saying like you have to eat them, but I, you know, love it if you did. Exactly. And I, I think that really what you're also saying here is that we need to stop labeling food. Like there are some foods that are really, really good and you need these and other foods are not so important or, or, or even bad for you. I think we, we need to stop stigmatizing and labeling and judging and put a moral evaluation on, on what we eat and how much we eat because yes, vegetable are good, um, but so is uh, carbs, so are carbs sometimes. We need all of it. And, and there is no food that's really dangerous for you if you just have a balanced diet. 
Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I am such an advocate for that. And, um, <laughs> you know, and something, you know, my, my daughter heard, you know, heard me say something to my husband about food. I, I don't like to talk about food. And, you know, like if I say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to eat that, you know, if I'm not, oh, I'm not, I want to eat pizza. And, you know, she said, oh, mom can't have pizza. And I'm like, no, 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 mom can, can have pizza. You know, I never want them to have this. I think like relationships with food can be so dangerous sometimes, you know, and, and, you know, and with, with how kids, you know, perceive, and I never want my kids to think that I'm not eating something. You know, I think, I think it's just balance. You can have everything. You just need to have good balance. Yes, and we need to take out the guilt, right? Because a lot of people are so guilt-ridden and they are just zooming in on the ingredients. So, oh my God, and how many proteins and I need fiber and I can't have this and I can't have that. But really, if we if we eat a varied diet of all kinds of foods, and, and by foods, I mean foods. I don't mean those like food-like substances that we can pick up in every supermarket, but real good food, like in its raw state, then we can't go wrong, even with cream and butter and whatever. If we just do a balanced diet, that's really what... I think we should aim for. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, okay, so I think everything you're doing is it's so interesting, and I I love all of this. But one I want to touch on is that so you found you know this a passion for you know picky eating and helping other women and helping other moms and you're helping yourself and like how did you you know how was that turning that into a business? Yeah. So. Um, well, my husband and I, obviously, we started at the Nordic family table first, and we were like, we, we went into that with our passion, like, okay, food and getting people back to the dining table and everything. But what we struggled with back then was actually having a product that people could relate to or even buy. We didn't know, really, what's our product? We have a movement, maybe. We have some thoughts that are fantastic, we thought. And, but what, what can we do to make this a business? And then not because I wanted to make it into a business, but then it's suddenly, you know, this interest for um, picky eating and the mealtime struggles and the drama around the table, that just, you know, grew on me. And I kind of was like, this is so, so exciting and it has so much potential. And so that was kind of what made, um, what we could make into something that, that was a product actually, because then I made this online course. It's a four week online course on how to create a little food hero because that's, you know, the, the concept I created is food here, it's emphasizing the positive angles. So like we want to look at what what our kid, kids do right instead of what we don't want them to do. Instead of saying, you're so picky, we can say, hey, you're a food hero for actually putting those peas on your plate or whatever. So that's kind of what, what happened was that now I could I could see this product and I could, I could see how we could... Um, we could promote this and we could reach people because now they they would know what this was all about and they could relate to it. So we started, well, I started doing the online course and my husband is really good at filming and being creative with websites and stuff like that. So, so he did that part, but the content and everything around Real Food Hero was primarily me and, and, and I really wanted to get it out there, especially to the moms because, well, to all parents really. Um, so, so that's how it happened really. And right now I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a children's book and a book about, uh, this, um, real food hero universe for parents. Oh, I love that. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So I think it really, um, if you're passionate about something, I, I feel like you should just jump into it. And this is where America is just so great because I feel like in Denmark, we are always a little, we can never really, um, we're not very good at cheering on each other. We can't really say, hey, that's so good for you, go for it. We're not really good at that. 
Oh, really? In America, people are really good at them. They're always cheering for you and they're always like, wow, you should do it. This is amazing and stuff. So, so I like that. And I think this is really the country to do that in. I love that you said that. We're not so great at eating at the dinner table, but we will cheer you on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I feel like that's really what Americans do extremely well. I love that you said that. I, you know, I, I especially feel that especially where we are right now, you know, with social media and all, um, there are some great, you know, cheerleaders out there, you know, to cheer each other on. And the amazing opportunity for women to cheer on other women, which is exactly why I wanted this podcast, because I, I feel that, you know, alone women can do a lot, but, you know, we come together, we can do incredible things and inspire so many people. Exactly. It's so true. Well, you are, I mean, seriously, you are incredible. I feel like I've already learned so much just from you. And Mm -hmm. and like, I feel like, you know, I can't wait to tell my husband this because we, we always, my husband and I will always have conversations about, you know, our family dynamic and, you know, what can we do better as parents? And, you know, dinner time is, oh gosh, you know, you said at the beginning, you know, dinner time, you go into it with stress, you know, yeah. and my husband will even joke sometimes we'll say, you want to take a bet? I don't know if they're going to eat this. And, <laughs> you know, so like one thing, you know, I will say, you know, I, I have come to, you know, eat healthier or look for great, you know, better recipes. And for a little bit, I was just doing it for me. And, and then I thought, wait, what am I doing? Like if I, you know, if I love this food and I know it's good for me, why would I not, you know, offer it to my children, my whole family? So we, we, we do, we like, we, you know, what, what mommy eats, it's on your plate. Like if mom eats it, you're eating it. And my husband, I will say, um, he was totally a picky eater, um, like just ate bread and steaks. And, mm. and now I think he didn't, he didn't exactly take your course, but he had like the threat of me saying like, <laughs> you're going to eat this because our children are watching you. Exactly. So, and he does. And he, he does. Now. Is it better now? Is he more varied in his intake or? Oh yeah. I mean, he, he will, he will. Um, I can't say that he he'll always choose a pizza. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, but he will, if that's what we're having, if, you know, we had asparagus and red pepper soup or like sweet potato and red pepper soup. And he, he ate it. And I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I think, you know, his, his mom would be so impressed that like, <laughs> How you taught him that? That's so cool. Yeah, but I wanted my, I really wanted my kids, you know, I was like, I want them. I think, I think everything that you said was incredible. And I think that is true. If, if, if alone my kids see us doing it and testing out new foods and new ways to eat it, they will eventually too. Exactly. Because that's also what's happening at the dinner table, right? We are modeling and we're guiding and we're showing them that we are doing it. And if you're doing it, they would want to do it too. They might not have the courage initially, but they will, once it's served again and again and again, they can become more familiar with it. Then they're going to want to dig into it because mommy and daddy are doing it. So that's probably good. They're vouching for it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So and we do, we do have a, or my daughter, she will, she does the, you know, she'll test me and she'll be like, I'm not eating, you know, she'll sit there all day, you yeah. know, and not eat, but I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, well. Yeah. But that's so true. Yeah. And Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and actually what, what you're saying there, I think it's so interesting because I'm actually, I've, I've become a vegetarian within the past like 12 to 18 months or so. And that is kind of, you know, how does that, you know, fit into my real food here when I'm modeling my kids uh, eating behavior? How does that fit in? 
but it but really they have never really they've asked me about so mom what is it about you and not eating meat and i'm like yeah you know what these are my reasons for not doing it you're totally fine with doing it but i've just decided that for these and these reasons i'm not going to do that anymore and i'm not shaming them for still eating some meat or still going for a burger or whatever but i'm just i have my own standpoints in these things too and i think that's also part of being a confident eater to know what you want to eat and what you want to support and and how you want to go about these things and have your preferences it's not about liking everything and eating everything it's about honoring your own you know attitudes and and whatever you feel and think about things but also honoring of course your your tummy and your body and what what they tell you i love that I love it. I think this is such great advice. And I, th- I think it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Okay, so where can people find you so they can follow you? Well, on Instagram and on Facebook, I am a real food hero. And uh, if they want to see my website, it's uh, nordicfamilytable.com slash food hero. Okay, awesome. So I will put all of that on the blog so people can follow you and they can find you. You know, I, I'm just, I'm so thankful for you and giving your time to telling us about this. And, you know, and especially, I believe, you know, you making your passion into a business, I think is truly inspiring, you know, just that you, anybody, you can do anything you want. Exactly. And we can, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Everyone, please go follow her, you know, Real Food Hero. You know, she is always posting little tips um, and they're so great when they pop up in your feed because it's just like a gentle reminder of things that you can do to help your family and, you know, help yourself and just overall, you know, be a little bit better each day. And I am just, I'm obsessed with it. I, I love it so much. Thank you. And I'm so glad you have me on the podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. All right, everyone. I'll see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspire Her podcast. Make sure you share it with your friends. Tag me on Instagram, Insta Stories, or Facebook, and let's inspire her together.